Storytelling for Leaders, a product from Anecdote in Melbourne, Australia, began when Sean Callahan, the founder of the company, started his business to help clients with storytelling training. And storytelling training these days is massive. It's, it's really big business. Teams, leaders, whole organizations realize the importance of being able to craft and communicate key messages to their audience in an impactful way, in a way that gets them to take action. And Sean spotted a gap in the market for helping clients such as SAP, Microsoft, BHP, Accenture, and many more to influence decision makers, to communicate to their audience. And what's interesting is that a chance conversation led to this in a way. Sean tells us that he had a conversation with someone mentoring him, and on the back of that conversation, his team and he realized the necessity to build products that could be sold into corporates around the world. You know, huge vision building stuff, this. I'd like you to listen in today and to expand your mind thinking about someone who has, in a way, gone ahead down the path that many of us would like to go. How he has built the training brand with his team, how he sells workshops and programs in 28 countries around the world, with the help of licensed partners or people whom he trusts to deliver anecdotes programs. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark. It's my pleasure each week, each Thursday, in fact, to welcome you to an episode where we have people on the show that can help you with your business journey. And the word I accentuate when I'm sharing the brand is training business. This is about the business side of things. Of course, we have guests on talking about exciting developments in learning and development, But this is very much about helping people like you and me, practitioners, at the sharp end, helping us to come up with ideas to attract clients, to have great conversations that sell what we do, how we help people, and why people should buy from us and buy us as practitioners, as coaches, as consultants, as trainers, as facilitators. If you are like me, someone who makes a living from sharing what you do, the the knowledge that you've accrued, the experience which you've gained and crafting and designing and delivering programs and selling those programs to people who love what you do for the reasons you do it, this is the show for you. So I encourage you, please, to subscribe to the show because every Thursday, without fail, there's an episode for people just like you and me, and it's there waiting for you on your podcast platform of choice. Please pause this, click subscribe right now because this costs you absolutely nothing and validates what I do. And if you can think of people who need a show like this, please tell them about the show. Podcast ratings are going up, thank goodness. And it's great to see that people are writing to me and letting me know what they find value in. This week, as I said before the music, I'm talking to someone called Sean Callahan, And this story really excites me because it tells you and me all about the potential that we have as trainers, as facilitators to craft IP, to build a brand and to sell that message, those products, to people often in different markets around the world. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Sean, hi. Welcome to the show. Good morning. It's great to see you. It's Australia Day today. Exactly. Exactly. So we have a day off. It's 
it's a funny sort of day for Australians because, of course, you know, you're celebrating, you know, the country and, and all the things that are great about Australia. But it has a uh, sort of a little darker side because the uh, our Indigenous, uh, you know, friends here see it as Invasion Day. Okay, we'll not go into that. We'll keep politics off this program. Exactly. <laughs> suffice- yeah, keep it a bit away from that at the moment. <laughs> suffice to say, you started your company, training company called Anecdote, back in 2004. What was the gap in the marketplace for storytelling back then? Well, I don't know if we looked at it as a gap in the marketplace. In fact, when we started, no one really wanted storytelling. It was... Um, it was a very niche and peculiar thing for people. They were sort of looking at us askance and wondering, what do you mean by this whole storytelling thing? And it came out of the fact that I worked at IBM. And at IBM, I did, had this great, great job there. My job was essentially to act as a, a corporate anthropologist and I would go into an organisation and collect stories, like hundreds and hundreds of stories, and then run people through large group processes to more or less work out elements of their culture, you know, the behaviour which is reflected in the stories. And then they would come up with interventions to change their culture. And we did this for, you know, quite a number of years all around the world. It was just absolutely fabulous. And so when I jumped out of IBM, my first inclination was to actually do more of that. And I call it story listening. So this is what gives us a slight you know, sort of different perspective on storytelling because I've seen thousands and thousands of stories that people actually tell in organisations, right, and they're not big stories. They're little stories. They're anecdotes, hence the name, right? And and so when we started, we didn't sort of say, hey, we're going to be a storytelling company. We were sort of looking at it as we're going to help people change their culture. But what happened was our customers said, hey, you guys know a little bit about storytelling. Can you help our leaders be better communicators? And we said no. We said no. This is very dangerous. Um, you know, stories can use, be used to manipulate, um, and we were against it. Uh, luckily for us, our our customers were persistent. And after a while, we sort of said, "Okay, look, we'll do this, but we're not going to help you make up stories. We're going to help you find the story that happened." three days ago, and then you're going to tell it today and make a point out of that. And that became the essence of our storytelling. And in those really early days, I was really dead against having any structure as well. I didn't want, you know, oh, this is the three-part structure to a story. I said, I said, no, you just go and find something that happened and you tell it, you know, that's, that's all there is to it. Um, so it was, so we didn't really look for a, a niche or a market. It grew organically. You said we. Was it we at that point, back in 2004? Well, no, it was, it was actually me for a year. Then my business partner joined me, Mark Schenk. Um, and it, it, what was happening is that we were both doing pro- a lot of projects together. He had his own company called Dialogue. I had Anecdote. And I said, hey, why don't we – because I'd managed to trademark the, uh, uh, the, the name Anecdote globally, right? Because at that time, no one was thinking about storytelling, right? And – so I trademarked. I said, "Look, I've already trademarked the name. Why, why don't we just come under this one banner of anecdote, and we'll kick off from there?" So that's so that was in. I started in two thousand and four, and then Mark joined me in two thousand and five. Okay, so you you obviously got some feedback from the marketplace from clients, almost guiding you towards the product they were looking for. Um, 
it's evolved since then. You have storytelling, story-powered strategy. You've got different kind of sub-brands. Tell us about the brands and the thinking behind taking this message from your client and saying, hey, actually, there's potential here and coming up with sub-brands or programs to deliver you know, a need in the marketplace. Yeah, it was one of those turning points in our business, actually, because um, there was a company that uh, we knew in the UK, which was doing some interesting story work. This is probably maybe seven years into um, you know, our experience. And the CEO of that company was a gentleman called Paul Honeywell. And so I managed to meet him a couple of times. We really hit it off. And, and I heard on the grapevine that he'd left uh, his company. Uh, and so I rang him up and I said, hey, Paul, you, you interested in becoming a mentor for, uh, for Anecdote? And he said, oh, I'd love to. That would be great. He's now our chairman, by the way. Um, and so Paul and his son, Dan, flew to Australia and they did a bit of it. They had a, a, a new company they were creating, which was about helping small businesses uh, develop their strategy. And so they ran their little techniques and stuff on us uh, in back in those days. And I remember right at the end of the week, Paul sat us down and Mark and I, and he sort of said, uh, look, you know, you've got a great company here, great customers. Essentially, you can, you know, you can travel where you want, you can have the latest iPhone, but essentially you've got a lifestyle business, guys. I mean, you know, that's fine if you want a lifestyle business, no problems, but you, if, you do, if you want to build this and grow it into a, you know, a bigger company uh, with a stronger brand, you need a product because we didn't really have a product. It was just we did a bunch of stuff, right? And, and so that's when we first cr we created Storytelling for Leaders. And the idea is that we would take that product and they had a and we had another thing happen where someone came to us and said, hey, you realise you could take your product and licence it to other people, right? And that was another penny drop moment for us. And so we started, and it took so long to put it all together. But once we got it together, we then started licensing storytelling for leaders to other organisations. We started off with just small companies, you know, like one or two man band type businesses but then we realized we could actually license it to a nokia or to a mars or to american express right because they wanted storytelling internally for their businesses and and that's where things really started to take off for us what was that like in your head thinking well hang on a sec it's just me myself and someone else we're being asked now to build a brand to build products to build things which we can license to other people that to many people is overwhelming it's now bigger than me. It's bigger than my business partner. It's something which has legs. It uh, has to be communicated properly to to licensees because since then, you've built up, um, I think, a network of global licensees, partners on the ground in in many countries. Well, I mean, in those early in that time where we started looking at the licensing model, uh, we had five people, I think, at that time in anecdotes. So you know the. It was just a, a small consulting business, but we had enough to get the job done, if you know what I mean. So there was a lot of sitting sitting down and just writing stuff out. It was it was a very creative time. It was great fun. And the difficulty for us was then how do you go about finding good partners? And what is a good partner, right? And and so we learned a lot, you know, sort of over the – it's been – 
probably 10 years now of, of, of doing this type of work, of creating that, that network. And we've got a pretty good idea. Was it difficult finding people like that, Sean? People you could trust your brand to and say, look, I'm not in your country, but I trust you to take my intellectual property and do it our way um, and sell it in, in a way that's um, brand aligned. It, it is. In fact, what ended up happening, people actually came to us. So that was, they were our main partners in the early days as, as companies. Or not, you know, it's just groups of people who actually came directly to us. And the most difficult thing were people who already had an idea of how they saw storytelling, right? So the worst, the worst partners for us, the worst prospects as a partner, were people who saw themselves as storytelling experts, right? So we had to say no to those people. The people who were much better were ones who were like, maybe they were comms specialists, but they didn't really have any storytelling capability in their in their armament. They were much better. Or on the strategy side, you know, they, they were good strategists. And actually, quite frankly, it was the customer that they had that made a big difference. If they already had the sort of customers that we were dealing with, there was a much better chance that they would gel with us and, and do well, right? Because at the end of the day, it's... We're asking, we're asking them not only to deliver this. I think it's pretty easy to deliver programs, but we're asking them to sell the program as well. Right. And that's a totally different skill set, isn't it, really? It is. It is. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a rare thing to find someone who can both sell at a high end to large corporations and also be involved in delivery. So, you know, we've had to you know, shift the model around quite a bit uh, in order to to make that work, actually. So how are you qualifying people? Let's say someone comes to you, because I can see on your website there is um, a page which encourages people to apply as partners. How do you filter out people who are not suitable? I'd love to know if you could share with the audience your criteria. When is a licensee right for us? When are they not right for us? I mean, you mentioned a couple of things about ability to sell and to deliver. Well, one of the things is that we have to really enjoy their company. Right? That's, that's like the big big criteria. But other than that, they already have to have uh, the customers that we sort of deal with. They have to have a real uh, desire. You know, they have to really believe in storytelling. They want to make a difference. See, they had to, to hook into our base purpose, which was to bring humanity back to organisations, right? That was when we first started, that's what we said we were going to do. And we're using storytelling at the moment to do that. That doesn't preclude us from doing other things in the future if we can see that there was, you know, that it fits into that purpose. Um, they have to be successful. They, they, we don't want people who are, you know, sort of tight for money or anything like that. We want people who are already successful. They're, they're doing a good job. They see an opportunity for their customers and, um, and, and they can see how this fits in. I mean, we had, for example, a, a, someone just recently, last week I was talking to them, and, and you know, they had an e-learning company, right? And um, and their customer, and because they, they were doing these interesting things around cinematic training, um, their customers started saying, oh, could you happen to, you know, train our, you know, uh, our leaders in storytelling because this has a real storytelling element mind you it's the opposite to what we do it's you know, a big hero's journey type storytelling whereas what we do is totally different uh, and so this person said oh did searching around he found us he said look it's much better if I actually 
make a partnership rather than try to recreate something in myself. And he is like a perfect fit for us, right? He's, he's got a, a, a team that go out and sell. You know, there's people who deliver. So it's got a little little group of people who this would be just a nice thing for them to, you know, add to the their capabilities. So there's some of the criteria that we have in our minds. It's, it's not like a, a set list, I don't think. Right. So you also then have... Um uh, a partner conference, which I think is a fantastic idea. What is the what is the element of attraction to you and, and to people who are partners in terms of the annual partner conference? I know it hasn't taken place because of COVID, but um, what were your goals in, in setting that up and what have you seen in terms of benefits? Well, I mean, the biggest benefit is just connecting, you know, so you know all these people. I mean, we travel, we, before COVID, we traveled a lot, right? So, you know, we were visiting all these these folk, but the thing is, we want the partners to all meet each other because we act as a sort of a community of practice, if you like, and the partners help each other out. So, for example, they might be practicing various new story techniques and they'll do it amongst themselves and, and not get anecdote involved, but it's lifting their capability, if you like. So the partner conference is that opportunity to, you know, learn new skills. So that's where we bring in new products or maybe a new angle on how to deliver something you know, they'll do the learning elements at their part conference. But the most important thing is the dinners, you know, the breakfasts, the morning teas, you know, all those sort of things of catching up and, and learning about each other and hearing the stories they tell each other. So that's that's what And do your, do your team miss it? I mean, it's been two, two years, nearly three, since that took place. Yeah, that's right. The last one was just before the whole, um, you know, the the COVID outbreak. So, yeah, we miss it desperately. We we definitely want to have. But the question is, where do we have it? That's the that's the big <laughs> thing. You know, when you have a global network, you you got you're spoiled for choice in terms of where you might have it. Yeah. So your your programs are also translated into other languages. That that must be a huge, um, I suppose, income stream in the sense that a lot of us are restricted by the language we speak and by the content we write and design. What, what to your mind is the benefit or has been the benefit of translating your IP into multiple languages? Because I think that's a large part of what many of us in the training business have to do these days is to reach into other markets to expand our horizons. Yeah, and look, for us, it is just reach. Uh, you know, our biggest market is China. Um, one, one of the, and you know, and you can't do that in English, obviously. So it's all uh, in, in Mandarin. It's... Um, uh, you know, delivered that way. But the thing that I'm, I'm noticing with um, our, our translations is that we used to do a lot of translations, you know, like we've, we've got one in, uh, you know, Thai, we have a translation in Vietnamese, you know, like, it's like really kind of niche translations, if you like. Um, but more and more, especially the large organisations, English is becoming the, the language of choice in terms of their leaders. And so, um, yeah. That's 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 essentially what's happening now. We're doing more and more in English anyway, you know. So the, the the language is important when you have to push it right down to the front line in organisations. Then you have to have you know the different language um, variations, if you like, in the programs. What along the way? Because I guess in a meta sense. Uh, the timeline on anecdote.com is, in effect, the story of anecdote, which is a storytelling business. Um, if, if you were to look back at the, the milestones in the story of anecdote, what were the breakthroughs and perhaps the, the not-so-well 
events that shaped who you are today? Yeah, look, we're always uh, experimenting. So, you know, for example, I ran an experiment just recently where I thought, okay, I could probably help teachers with their, you know, the, the story of their school, right? But one of the things, so we built a program, we were sort of based on our, you know, our story-powered strategy uh, work. But one of the things we quickly worked out is that we just don't have those kinds of connections. And as sort of corporate trainers, we also don't have that same gravitas with principals in, in schools, right? So it was a little experiment. And, you know, I'll keep it going in the back burner there and, and sort of just play around with it. But it wasn't something that really took off, right? Uh, so that would be a downside. The, probably the, the key turning points I've already touched on, you know, there was the turning point of working out the productization. There was a turning point around licensing. Uh, I think when we started to work out how to tell the story of, of a strategy, that was a, a major milestone for us. You know, and that just came about reading an article, right? So I read, I read an article in a, um, in, in a journal and, and it sort of said the story of your strategy. And I went, oh, hello, this is interesting. And it didn't really give enough to um, explain how they did it, but it was enough for me to go, oh, that's the same as our clarity story uh, you know, pattern. And we, we, I remember going, our first customer was um, the Transport Accident Commission here in, in Melbourne, and Janet Dorr was the CEO then, and I, I just I rocked in there and I just sort of said, hey, we can, we can help you, you know, tell the story of your strategy. It kind of looks like this. By the way, we've never really done it before. And and uh, and we'll give you a good discount as a result of that. And she was totally up for it. She liked the idea, and we did it, and it was a tremendous success. And so, as soon as that happened, I knew, okay, we've got something here, right? Um, so that's that's been a, a a great product for us, actually. Yeah. So, for people listening to this who who might think, you know, what I, I've tested my IP, I have a. I don't know whether it's leadership training, resilience training, mental health training, or some kind of workshop or facilitation program. For people thinking of the, the, the ups and downs, ins and outs of licensing their IP and entrusting this to other people to run, what would you say to people speculating or thinking about going down that path? Well, I think one of the things is you want to try to keep your model as simple as possible. So, and... You know, our model is is simply um, if someone wants to deliver our programs, you know, we charge on a per-head basis, and they more or less have to buy the packs, right? Like here are the workbooks, here's the, you know, like imagine a pack of material. It's not so much a physical pack to so much these days, but imagine a pack, and they have to buy it. You know, let's say it's 500 bucks, right? So they buy it for 500 bucks. And that's it. That's the license you need. The license comes with the, the package of material, right? And, it, and, and what you end up doing is you control then the production. So you know who's selling. You know, they can't sell it without the pack. And, and so you know exactly how many units are actually being sold. So that's, that's one half of it. But the other half is that you have to, and you sort of hinted at it, you have to have trust in your partners, Right. You've got to trust that they're going to do the right thing, uh, that they're going to raise issues with you when, when, they, when they happen um, because you can't sort of 
have you can't start building in a whole bunch of processes to you know sort of double check and 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 sort of say, oh, well, you know, we're going to penalise you if you do this or you get this wrong, you know. Like, as soon as you set down that path, it is becomes a spaghetti of, of, of pain and agony, right? It's just a bundle of, of pain. So, so we keep right away from that and we reward those partners who do good by us, right? The ones who sort of say things like, oh, uh, anecdote, look, you, we, you, you haven't charged us enough for this. Right, you know, because we actually did that, that, that. You know, they're the the partners that we go. Oh my God, this is exactly who we need to be in partnership with. Right. Um, the other thing, which is harder, is is how do you keep the quality up or, or to a standard? Right. And part of it is, you know, in the past we would actually go visit and you know sit in the back, and I'm sure that put people off a little bit, but you know, sort of be there even if we could actually tell how a, uh, a program was going even if it wasn't in the language we could speak right this happened multiple times where we would sit in a, a chinese program and uh, you could tell just by the flow of of what they were saying and the slides on the on the screen whether they were kind of getting the the idea or not um so we'd have to have a translator there to to help us but now we have uh, a couple of mechanisms one is Every, every time a program is run, uh, the participants, you know, sort of rate the program and that ratings come to us, right? So we're getting a sense of early warning. And we, we sort of talk to the partners. This is not to, you know, sort of punish anyone. This is just to give an early warning system of what might be going on out there that, you know, maybe you can't see yourself but is starting to flow into what the participants are actually reporting, right? Um, and the other one is we do lots and lots of uh, Zoom calls with our partners just on little bits and pieces like, oh, how do you spot a story? And we'll get all the partners involved and they will, uh, you know, give their little anecdotes of how they've done that, right? And they're kind of learning off each other and we, we would share ours as well. So the lots of interaction with our partners is actually a big part of it. Okay. So what, what is the future hold then? It's 22 as we're recording this now. Um, where do you see Anecdote going? You're, you're, you're physically in Melbourne. You have business interests around the world. You have a partnership, I think, with another company now helping to distribute your material online. Is that right? They, the, the partnership we have uh, sort of helps us get into markets that we're not really, really uh, sort of there at, like the Chinese market, they're through that partnership. But, but the thing, next thing for us is, uh, you know, just literally in um, – in 2020, in January 2020, I and my daughter went to London and we did a big opening of our office, new office in London um, party, right? And then what happens? COVID <laughs> hits. <laughs> and we figured we couldn't really make progress at that point, so we just closed it down. And... But we're going to do this year is really all about the US for us. So I'm a US citizen, by the way. So it's, uh, you know, maybe I can uh, take advantage of that in some way. And why the US market specifically? Well, there's a couple of countries in this world that just love storytelling in the sense that they're very familiar with it and they're already doing things in it. And a lot of our business already comes from the US. Like I would more than, 
I don't know, 70% or 80% of our business is from outside of Australia and um, and a big chunk of that comes from the US, right? So uh, so we're going we're gonna to head over there and, and, and set up a bit more of a physical presence uh, in the US. That's, that's probably what we're – our big plan for 2022 is. It sounds exciting. Physical expansion at last, not just online. Yeah, um, yeah. Where can people find out more about you? Obviously, anecdote.com. Anywhere else you'd like me to direct listeners? No, no, look, that's the best place to go. You'll sort of see all our contacts there. We, we, you know, we're pretty active on LinkedIn too, so feel free to you know, reach out and connect if you like. And, yeah, no, that's, they're the two best places. And, and, of course, putting stories to work, your book. Indeed, yes. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. Fantastic. Okay, Sean, thank you so much for speaking to us from Australia on Australia Day. And um, I look forward to keeping in touch with you. It was a pleasure, Mark. Bye for now. My thanks, huge thanks to Sean for speaking to us from Melbourne today on Australia Day. It's the 26th of January, if you're listening to this in Australia, or at least the time of recording is, the 25th of January here in Ireland. And it's a big deal. And I'd, I'd love to get you to think now, having listened to Sean, what can you do with the information from today's episode? Are there conversations that you could have with people who could license your programs, your IP, who could sell your products into new markets? You know, what is the potential of your brand? Think of all the work you've done over the years in crafting those programs, those workshops, your trainings. Could you actually expand your horizons and have conversations with people? Who would you like to sell your programs? What is the opportunity for you in new languages and new markets? There's been loads of value today from Sean. The thing now to do is to think of ways that this resonates with you, applies to you, and can help you. So there is, of course, a fresh episode next Thursday. I'd love nothing more than to hear from you. So please reach out to me via mark at trainingbusiness.com if you find episodes like this valuable. I'd love to know what you find valuable and how it's helped you. And if you can think of other episodes or content or authors you'd like to have on the show, please let me know again, mark at trainingbusiness.com. There is a fresh episode again, as I've said, next Thursday. Please subscribe. But I look forward to your company again next week. Until then, keep going. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.